Music is music. La música es música. Music is music. Music is music. With American Public Media, I'm Ria Misra, host of Music is Music. And today we're stepping out of our own studios and joining composer and pianist Vijay Iyer in his studio, which conveniently is also his home. Hey Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you so much for having us. Come on in, I guess. Thank you. When we stop into Vijay's home in Harlem, he is, as always, right in the middle of projects. He's finishing up a new CD set to come out this September. He's just about to begin a week of performances with his trio at the Village Vanguard in Greenwich. And he's also only weeks away from this year's Ojai Festival, where he's musical director. For just the moment, though, he's at home. And so we follow him down the stairs and step into a basement studio that's full of music. Along the walls are shelves and shelves of albums. In the middle of the room, a music stand sits propped open where someone left it. And then there are the instruments, each with their own story of just how they got there. There's a violin that Vijay has had since high school, a set of drums he received as a gift from fellow pianist Jerry Allen, and of course, there's the piano. Could you tell us a little bit about the piano to start with? Sure, yeah. This yeah. Um, It's dusty. <laughs> this is a... Uh, Steinway S, which was made in the 1940s. So when I was growing up, my sister was the real pianist in the mm. house. I was the fake pianist. I'd <laughs> kind of bang on her piano when she wasn't around, or sometimes when she was. And um, so when she was in high school, my parents found this for her, and they got it in a state sale for really cheap um, so much that it was so cheap that they don't, I don't think they ever really knew what they had until mm. many years later. So it's a nice Steinway from the mid century, you know, and it's a short one. The S's are only five and a half feet long, so the bottom end is um, not as powerful as with the concert grands that you find at Carnegie or something, but it's good for the house. Fits in the door, <laughs> <laughs> fits around the corners. We got it in under the the stoop here, which was a pretty oh, wow. awkward maneuver. So yeah, we've had it in the family since the 80s, 30 years, more than 30 years. Wow. Did you and your sister ever play together when you were growing up? Well, that's one of my um, earliest, earliest memories playing piano was sort of improvising with her. And I mean, I don't think, I wouldn't not call it improvising, but there wasn't any kind of knowledge involved. It was really just banging, you know, but it was, <laughs> So um, it was such a rich experience. It's somehow stuck with me because we had the, at the time when I was little, this is when I was three or four, and she's a few years older, and we had a battered old spinet in the house. And we just clanged on the white keys <laughs> with the sustain pedal down for like a half hour. And uh, did you ever swing on a swing set when you were little and you pushed it so hard that it started to tip over? Oh, all the time. Yeah. So that was, it felt like that was happening with the piano, that it was somehow about to like explode or fall over or lift up off the ground or something like that. Because it was, I mean, I was little, so it didn't take much to give me that sensation. But uh, I think that sense of like um, vibratory experience mm. that I associate with playing music and with just music in general, that stayed with me and that's still something I kind of seek and crave when I'm playing, when I'm making, when I'm composing, when I'm figuring out what to do next as an artist.
I want to kind of set the stage a little bit for our, our audience at home where we're in your studio in your basement. Um, <laughs> can you tell us just a little bit about the room that we're standing in? This is the room where nothing else, well, no one else comes in here, I guess. So it's, except when my daughter's playing violin. So she practices down here kind of grudgingly. <laughs> but for the most part, it's just the room where we shoved everything that wouldn't fit anywhere else in our home. And that includes this piano and a lot of my <laughs> books and 1,500 CDs and a few hundred books and a bunch of those closets like don't open them because it will fall, <laughs> you know, stuff will fall on you. Is this where you compose music? When I'm working at the piano, yes. I guess also I work a lot on my computer and so that can be anywhere. Um, it's often down here just because it's a little bit secluded, but... You know, it could easily be on a plane or in a hotel room or somewhere else, too. Do you mind if we walk around a little bit and, like, <laughs> kind of just... You're kind of making walk, it seem kind of much bigger than it is. <laughs> well, it's you really... know, I, I see a violin over there, and I wanted to ask about that. Oh, so, yeah, that's yeah. my old violin from high school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, which my daughter's now big enough to play. I mean, she's been playing since she was little. She's 12 now. But she's growing out of her three-quarter size, and so I've been letting her play my old violin you know violin was my first instrument so it's uh so i have my own neuroses about it but, um, <laughs> so this is an instrument that i've had since probably 86 and i quit in 89 or 90 but since she's been playing i've been picking it up just to play with her mm. so we did like the bach double together and stuff <laughs> like that and that's been kind of good for me to reconnect with the instrument sort of to start over you know mm-hmm. knowing what i know and Knowing that it's really about sound more. I mean, it's about notes too and everything, but like actually getting a good sound is sort of the most important thing. And it's like for kids, it's the least important thing. They're just trying to (laughs) hack through the music, you know. They want to just get to the next song. But uh, I've learned mainly just from my own experiences as a performer that um, it's really about again, that vibratory experience, and not just for yourself, but how you communicate that to others and how you give them that experience. So then it becomes really about uh, tone and texture and being expressive with sound. Hmm. You know, I love that, that the instruments in this room are, are passed on from, mm-hmm. you know, one mm-hmm. family member to another. Yeah. Does that kind of speak to something in your music too? I guess, you know, I'm 45 now. Things have a way of just accumulating. So, like, uh, you know, when I play with my group, with my trio, for example, we're playing this week at the Village Vanguard. A given set that we do will just sort of be not quite a random walk, but like a uh, some kind of path through 20 years of repertoire or maybe 25 years of repertoire. I guess I ha- have a way of keeping everything around. And even also <laughs> everyone in the group are people I've worked with for many years, you know. Mm-hmm. Tyshawn Sori, I've worked with since 2000, 2001, and Stefan Crump, I've worked with since 99. So yeah, I guess I'm a, I'm a man of commitments. <laughs> I don't know what, <laughs> things have a way of staying, you know, which is good. I don't let go, and when others don't either, then, well, we can get somewhere. You know, we can actually develop something over years and years. There's no substitute for that, you know, for that kind of time together. You know, I wanted to ask you about the piece that you just played for us a moment ago. Sure. 
It's called For A B. That's as in Amiri Baraka, the poet and activist, and uh, playwright and critic, and, um, polymath, who I had the pleasure and honor of working with for several years. And he passed away in, I believe it was January of 2014. And that was right around the time I was writing this piece for um, Brentano String Quartet. I wrote it for them and I, was, I play it with them. We've played it together many times since then. So that became the closing movement of that piano quintet. Hmm. And uh, I still play it. I just recorded it with my band a couple weeks ago. So, you know, it's a way to summon him and remind me of a dear mentor and uh, somebody who had uh, a generosity and uh, hmm. and a fire in him. So I guess it's a kind of elegy. What made you think of that piece just right now? It was probably just that I started stretching my hands out because it was <laughs> the first, my first moment at the piano today. And, um, and the opening sound of that is me reaching an 11th with my right hand, which uh, I guess not many people do, but I do it a lot. <laughs> I find that I, in a way that just that spread on the piano, it has a unique quality to it because, well, for one thing, you don't often hear it in, you know, spread out like that. But it's also that it, um, you know, I'm really influenced by pianists like Duke Ellington, Thelonious Monk, and they had a way of uh, generating sonorities that had a spareness to them, but also had a grandeur to them at the same time. So it's a sort of, it's almost a paradox to play something that's empty and yet big. Mm. Um, so I guess I find myself going for sounds like that at the instrument. So that's, I guess, why it happened. And also he's somehow always on my mind. to ask um, a little about is, you know, we were talking just a few moments ago about your earliest experiences with music. And I wonder, was improvising something that, that came naturally to you? Or did you have to kind of work at, at developing this skill? Well, improvising comes naturally to everybody, because it's the way we do everything. There's almost nothing we do that isn't improvised. I mean, speech is improvised. 
Walking is improvised. Eating is improvised. <laughs> Dancing is improvised. <laughs> you know, almost everything you do is improvised. <laughs> the only things that aren't are these slightly strange um, extreme occasions when you play a composed piece. And even then, there are moments in the course of performance where you might find that you have to make a choice. I guess I don't find that it makes sense to speak of people's natural improvisational abilities as if they're abnormal. Certainly not mine. I happened to be in a situation where I was, when I was growing up, I was taking violin lessons, which were exactly anti-improvisation. Basically, I was being taught how to never improvise on the violin <laughs> by, you know, playing a bunch of uh, very regimented uh, Western classical repertoire mm -hmm. and learning it in very specific ways that removed any kind of creative impulse that I might have had. And then the uh, with piano, I was just this kind of like feral child. You know, like I didn't have any kind of, nobody was telling me not to do anything. Uh-huh. So I guess on the piano, I was like raised by wolves. And <laughs> on the violin, I was, you know, I was in certain kind of um, sort of indentured sort of situation <laughs> where you're sort of like only allowed to do certain things. So that's that, that particular strange balance I had. <laughs> it gave me, on the one hand, a certain set of rigors that have stayed with me. But on the other hand, I don't know if, should I, what should I call it? Fearlessness is maybe too too much, too extreme a term for it. But it's just sort of like unbothered. I'm just unbothered <laughs> by um, by the piano. It's something that I can just kind of hang out with and do things with. It's not a big deal. Does audience reaction um, play any role when you're improvising? Um, yeah. Well, just like, you know, if you're... Uh, have you ever stood up in front of a room full of people? You can sense when they're with you and when they're sort of tuning out or kind of losing the thread. And it's exactly the same with music. You can, uh, but in a way music works a little bit more directly on the body because it is physical and it's vibratory and it's organized in a way that's dealing with the rhythms of the body. So, because of that, it actually, this sounds a little extreme, but it basically takes control over the audience's physical experience. It's only temporary, so it's not, you know, I'm, not, uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to brainwash people or anything like that. But um, I've had the experience, for example, of hearing the whole audience exhale at once. Mm. You know, and that's something that music brings about. It's not abnormal. It's just we rarely get to have that experience but today because of how things are but that's basically what music can do it can kind of bring everyone to a kind of synchronized bodily um, release of some kind you know or some kind of uh i mean dancing the music is one basic example you know where everyone is actually orienting around the same pulse so there's a unity that emerges i mean it sounds almost nerdy to put it that way because like you kind of already know that but but it's again it's like worth reminding ourselves that that's what music does mm -hmm. you know so it's not that i'm just trying to get a rise out of the audience or something but but more the sense that we're all in it together and so you know what's happening with us is also happening with them 
So it's about creating that link so that we feel that experience together. Before we leave, Vijay sits back down at the piano to play us one more song. But first, we take a moment to talk about just what it means to improvise. Whether you're improvising a dance, a movement, a conversation, or a piece of music. You know, when I was, um, I've toured a lot with Wadada Leo Smith, and we made an album together, and he's like a sage. (laughs) I mean, spending time with him and talking about stuff like this has been a revelation for me. Someone asked him a similar question. What are you thinking about when you improvise? He said, (laughs) you know, when we enter that space, we forget that we are alive. Think about that. I mean, that's actually what happens in the sense that you're not um, like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do, you're not thinking like that. You're actually just in it and you're doing what is necessary to get to the next moment or the next step. That seems to me how a better way of understanding it than the usual way that it's put where it's sort of like, what are you thinking about when you play? Or you must not think when you play or something like that which is also a little bit false. It's more that thought is embodied. I think that's the point. Thank you.
Today we heard two songs played for us by Vijay Iyer in his home studio. That first was 4AB, off his forthcoming album, and the song you're hearing right now is Remembrance. We've got photos from that visit to Vijay's studio, and also from the opening night performance at the Village Vanguard up on our website. You can find that, as well as links to more information about Vijay's music, on the Performance Today page at yourclassical.org. Music is Music is a production of American Public Media's Performance Today, and supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts, online at arts.gov. This week, we came to you with a performance recorded live in Harlem. Next week, Ben Lucas Boyson joins us from Berlin to tell us about composing the soundtrack to the new and aptly named video game, Everything. To hear that episode and more, subscribe to Music is Music under the American Public Media page on iTunes, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Until then, I'm your host, Ria Misra, and as always, thanks for listening. This is APM American Public Media.